Rio Hondo Prep Football is one of the best kept secrets in all of Southern California. As one of the smallest enrollments year in and year out, the Cares have won 14 CIF championships and have been one of the most successful programs throughout their history. Welcome to A Charge to Keep, the official podcast of Rio Hondo Prep Football. And now, bringing you the latest news and content from his alma mater, a CIF champion in 2001. From the class of 2003, here's your host, Matt Ursima. Hey there, Real Hondo football fans. Hope all is well here in the middle of summer. Time is flying by. Before you know it, we will be kicking off another season of Real Hondo Prep Football down in San Diego on August 19th. Some of the old, er, earlier podcasts uh, still had the old date on there of August 18th, but it, it will be on Saturday, August 19th, as Rio opens their season against Francis Parker in La Jolla, to be specific, on a Saturday night. So very much looking forward to, uh, to that. And uh, we've had some great guests on the podcast this summer. We've got to know the um, coaching staff a little bit. Uh, we've heard from head coach Mark Carson before they headed off on the summer trip. Uh, we have heard from Ed Drain, AJ Corsini, Will Tarico. Uh, recently, we heard from Real Hondo graduate BJ Jacobs, who went on to be a Navy SEAL, a rather patriotic episode there, getting to hear from him. So a lot of great things uh, have been going here for the football program behind the scenes and just putting together more great episodes for you guys. And uh, we have another Outstanding guest today, a featured guest of the program, somebody who has joined the coaching staff of Real Hondo and has quite a resume uh, behind him. Uh, he has coached with the USC Trojans, won a couple of national championships there. He also coached the Seattle Seahawks, was a member of the coaching staff during their Super Bowl uh, not too long ago. We are going to be joined by Coach Rocky Sato from uh, Real Hondo today. He is joining the coaching staff. His son is uh, going to be on the the team this year, I believe as a freshman, we'll, we'll get to all the particulars here soon, but uh, coach Rocky coach Sato is going to be on the sideline. Uh, uh, what better way to uh, improve that coaching staff for real than to have a national championship champion and super bowl winning uh, coach there on the sideline. I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun for him coaching at the high school level. Uh, I want to talk to coach Sato about his experiences uh, playing football. Cause I know he did play in Arcadia uh, down the street from Rio Hondo and then went on to play a uh, college about at Mount Sac and USC as well. So we'll learn about him quite a bit. And for those of you uh, wondering, you know, about well, Rocky Sato joining the, uh, the the Rio staff, that's kind of unique. It absolutely is because most Rio Hondo uh, coaching staff members, if not all of them, have been guys that played at Rio Hondo. So this is a unique situation, but uh, Coach Sato coming on board, I think it's going to be a great addition to the program. And uh, Coach Sato is also Pastor Sato. He uh, pastors a church in La Puente. I'm sure we'll get to all that. I hope I didn't mess any of the information up, but I'm really excited to talk to him today about uh, his football journey. And it's fun to, you know, talk to someone who didn't go through Rio Hondo, but now respects Rio in a way where he he wanted to be a part of it. And um, as there's so many people out there who want to contribute or be involved somehow, and that's a big part of this podcast, why we want to include people and educate them on the Rio Hondo football program. Uh, Coach Sato is jumping on board. He's going to contribute the best way he can. And uh, if you haven't heard Coach Sato speak, um, you're in for a real treat because I've heard him speak at a few different um, clinics and he's come down to, to Rio a few different times. 
Uh, you can look up his his story. He's a, a a deep man, a man of deep faith, of course, being a pastor now. And his story is uh, quite interesting. It's it's about perseverance and you know fighting through adversity, and then coaching at the highest level. You know what that's like. I want to talk to him about you know coaching alongside Pete Carroll at USC and up in Seattle with the Seahawks. So there's a lot to talk to Coach about. I'm excited about this one. I hope you guys have had a wonderful summer this thus far. We got more great content ahead on the podcast but today once again we're going to get to learn a little bit about a member of the coaching staff a new addition to the coaching staff in 2023 coach rocky sato so let's bring him on and uh hear a, a fun-filled uh story about uh football faith family and all of the above here is coach rocky sato Okay, it is now my privilege to be joined by one of the newest additions to the Rio Hondo coaching staff, Coach Rocky Seto, who's also a pastor in uh, La Puente, California. Uh, he does a lot of different things with football and faith. So, uh, yeah, happy he's here on the podcast. How's it going, Rocky? It's going great, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me and uh, grateful to be able to speak to the uh, Rio Hondo community. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, sir. And you know what? You're, you're a brand new uh, member of that community, having uh, talked with Coach Carson, you know, helping out the, the team and such. Um, you, you've you coached it at very high levels, which which we'll get to. Um, it is, uh, you know, late June here. The, the football season is around the corner. Um, how excited are you to to be a part of this uh, Rio Hondo staff? Really excited. I mean, particularly just because of the people that I got to know, um, Coach Carson to um, Coach Drain to others. and. I mean, just the quality group of people on the staff and even, you know, the student body, it's going to, it's going to be a blessing to work with them, you know, and um, grateful for the opportunity. And um, when Mark asked me if I'd be willing to serve as a chaplain and even some kind of a special consultant, I was like, yeah, that'd be great and grateful for that opportunity. Well, I know the program is uh, happy to have you. It's going to be a great experience indeed. Um, as far as chaplain duties uh, go, I mean, you're a great guy for the job. You have a church there in, in La Puente. How long have you been a pastor of that church now? You know, we moved down from Seattle, Washington in 2017 of July. So in a few weeks, we'd be down here for six years. And uh, of those six years, I've been serving a senior pastor for maybe I don't know, a little over the four and a half years or right about four and a half years, I'd say. And uh, it's been amazing and uh, grateful to be able to merge Christ, the word and and some football to uh, help uh, fulfill the Great Commission here at Rio Hondo. I think a lot of guys uh, would probably, if they were honest, would say that they probably wouldn't have their faith. Had it not been for football and just the experience and intertwining uh, that there, uh, we're going to talk about your coaching career. We'll get to uh, all that. But, uh, you know, when you left coaching, you mentioned you came down here to, to, to be a pastor, you literally left a coaching position in the NFL to pursue, uh, being a pastor. Talk to me about kind of what went into that decision. And, uh, you, you obviously seem very happy with the decision you made. Yeah, I am happy. And, uh, and I'll just start off saying it because people probably are wondering, uh, how's it been the last six years? I'd say it's harder than I thought, but I love it way more than I thought. And it's harder in this way, Matthew. Um, in football, I'm used to certain results, meaning either good or bad, meaning we either win or lose a game, we either stop the run or we don't stop the run. And there's a there's there's a score, there's stats to kind of 
uh, measure the metric of how well you're doing. Even if you're not winning, you can see if you're kind of getting better. Um, so that's kind of a satisfying thing, you know, and sometimes you don't like the results, but at least you know where you stand. In ministry, you really don't quite understand how you're doing. I mean, in football, even my mom would be able to tell me if we're having a good season or not just by the one loss record, right? But in 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 ministry, a lot of different people may have a lot of different opinions. And I may have an opinion, but yet the metric of what's going on, only God knows, you know. And so meaning numbers of people attending or not attending, meaning um, different programs happening or not happening aren't really the barometer of success. And so really God does what he needs to do to build his church. But the key for a pastor is am I being faithful? Am I content in just simply being faithful to what he has outlined clearly in the scriptures to do, which is preach the word, disciple people, raise up leaders, you know, and love well, be patient with people, um, maintain the holiness of the church, you know, uh, comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable, you know what I mean, so forth and so on. I mean, it's am I being faithful to do the role of a pastor? Because... Matthew, I'd say one of the most misunderstood roles in the world is what is the role of the pastor? I mean, some people see the pastor as perhaps like a program manager, perhaps someone, uh, uh, maybe a counselor, a comforter. And, and, and certainly there's aspects of that. But the primary role of the pastor is to preach the word. Jesus said in Matthew, John 21, you know, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And in, in other words, the primary role of a shepherd is to feed the sheep and to lead and, and to develop leaders and so on and, and help foster, uh, develop a culture of discipleship. And so that, that's been something that I had to grapple with and to, uh, I think the good Lord is teaching me uh, by humbling me, but also just taking me deeper into his word. And um, so that was a decision that, didn't happen overnight, Matthew. Okay, because yeah. <laughs> I grew up uh, spending almost thirty years in football as a player and as a coach. Eighteen years of, uh, or yeah, eighteen years of coaching professionally, either at the collegiate level or the professional level, and uh, I mean that's what I was about, you know. And so, but I would say since two thousand ten, uh, maybe even two thousand nine, the Lord was giving me opportunities to speak at different things at churches, at different functions. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And and I would say uh, as we flew up to Seattle to take out our new role with the Seattle Seahawks, I, I believe the Lord was humbling me, man. I mean, the, I, I would say the biggest factor that was taking place was that I started digging deeper to the Word of God, the Bible. And I mean, I'm talking 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm reading for an hour or so. And I'm thinking, oh, I got to start to work now. I got I to start breaking down film or studying film. And my heart was gravitating towards wanting to go deeper into the word, you know, because it was just amazing. And, and trust me, coaching uh, football, especially for Coach Carroll, is like an A. It's, it's an amazing job. Don't get me wrong. But something was becoming like an A-plus in my heart, which is to study the word. And I love the opportunity to teach it to others and to – preach the bible so this was not an overnight decision by any means this is so in 2017 we left the seahawks 
so from maybe 2009, 2010, seven, eight year process of wrestling over this growing desire. And First uh, Timothy 3, 1 says, if anyone aspires, desires to be an elder, I mean, this internal desire starts to grow. Maybe you're called to be a pastor. And that's what was happening. And so that, that desire was getting so great that I could, it would have been a regretful thing to deny it any longer. And, uh, and an opportunity opened up at Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley, which is in La Puente, as you said. And they offered me the opportunity to uh, become the next senior pastor. And, and as, as soon as my wife was on board, um, I was ready to uh, let Coach Carroll know what our decision was and let the church know that we're, we'd be uh, happy to uh, serve in this capacity. How was Coach Carroll when uh, you came to him and told him that, hey, I'm uh, I'm moving on to something that I feel called to? Was I mean, I imagine he was supportive, but but, but what was that like? Because you were you were on his staff for a great uh, number of years. I mean, what was his reaction? Yeah, we were together for 16 wonderful years, and and um, I tell you, I, first of all, I love the man. Grateful for him. I mean, he he it was certainly been one of the biggest influences in my life. He was uh, he basically took me from the ground from ground zero and taught me how to coach it was a true mentorship a true apprenticeship and um in a unique way because he his roots are in on defense and with coaching defensive backs and he basically downloaded what he knew into me and critiqued me along the ways and all that so we'd have a that type of relationship where we were able to talk about things and and coach carroll's a pretty holistic man where there's more to him than football. So we would talk about family. We'd talk about Christ and talk about, you know, coach, I mean, maybe perhaps like in 2000, I don't know, maybe three, four years or so we're talking about, I don't know, maybe I'll become a pastor. And, and, and so when I told him, I don't think he was shocked, but he was surprised. Let me just say that much. This was the, we're playing the, um, Detroit Lions of the first round of the playoffs in the of the 2016 season. So this must have been the top of 2017 and must have been a Tuesday or Wednesday. I, I, I go into his office. I knock on the door. Hey, can I talk to you? He goes, of course. It was at night. And I just said, hey, by the way, um, God's called me to be a pastor. And this will be my last season. And and he was super supportive. And um it was great, you know, and um, grateful. I mean, those times I had with him are are incredibly cherished. And um, we we won that game versus Detroit. It was a home first round wild card game, and then our last game we lost to the Falcons in Atlanta, and then that was my last game coaching. And so, at least until now, until Rio Hondo Prep, you know, then this will be my first game back uh, <laughs> in some capacity. So, really excited about that. Wow. It's uh, quite a journey you've been on and uh, it's cool to hear behind the scenes stuff. You know, we see these guys on TV and you know, on Sundays and things, but uh, it sounds like being a pastor, a lot like being uh, you know, the head coach of a team. It sounds like a lot of the traits and things that uh, you were talking about, just, you know, feeding your sheep and, you know, being a good shepherd and all those things. Uh, yeah. I, I think the people uh, at Evergreen church are in, are in great hands, sir. Uh, from I've hearing you speak in the past. And of course, right now, uh, if, let me ask you uh, coach Seto, well, where did you grow up? Um, talk to me about, you know, where you grew up, if football was kind of something that was a part of your life right away. And, and your same thing with your faith, finding, finding God, just if you could take us back in time. Well, so my parents are from Japan. They met here 
um, in Los Angeles. They got married. My dad was a blue collar worker. We're a blue collar family. He was a gardener for 45 years or so in the San Gabriel Valley. A lot of his clients were in Arcadia, Pasadena, along the foothill freeway, that, uh, that area. And my mom primarily was a homemaker, you know, and so I had a wonderful upbringing. I mean, um, it was tough. I'm sorry, coach. We froze there for a second. You were talking about uh, your parents, uh, you know, and, and they were, life was tough, but in a good way. And yeah, if you could continue. Yeah. So like I said, we grew up as a blue collar family and uh, I think uh, the Lord taught me a lot through my dad. I would say my dad is the hardest working man I've ever know, known. And my mom is the toughest person I've met, meaning mentally tough and just persevering and through uh, difficulties and trials and she was really the glue that kept uh, our family together. My dad was like the muscle that kept us going. And like I said, he worked for 45 plus years as a gardener in, in San Gabriel Valley. And he'd bring us to work with him whenever we didn't have school. And, and that's where the Lord taught me just to work and uh, my brothers to work. Uh, he taught us to how to dream during that time because we, it's, it gets kind of monotonous at times. And, and to dream about what's next. And we we moved from Los Angeles to Monterey Park and then to Arcadia. Not even too far from Rio Hondo Prep. I could walk to Rio Hondo Prep from where I grew up. And um, and basically, uh, football was a way to kind of make my dad proud. I mean, he loved sports. The times that we interacted was through working as a garden in gardening or through sports. And and he loved football. And I thought to myself, at his a weird thought in my head as a youngster if only I could play football at the southern at the University of Southern California you know my life would be set and I'll make my dad proud and so sure enough went to Dana Junior High we had ninth grade football there at the time so just like the stone ages when there was only three year high school at Arcadia played three years of uh, football at Arcadia High School for Doug Smith I wasn't good enough now, Matt, <laughs> academically or athletically or maturity-wise to uh, play football at the University of Southern California. And, and so I went to the to Mount San Antonio College, Mount Sac in Walnut, and played for Bill Fisk, who was an All-American at USC. Transferred to USC as a junior in 1997 under John Robinson. And that's an incredible story to itself how that happened, but uh, – the Lord opened up a door to walk on. And then in 1998, the next year, Paul Hackett comes in, who I love, grateful for these men and for the opportunity given me. And he gave me a scholarship. And then during that year is where Christ found me. Mm. Christ found me. I was lost. I was into football. Football was my identity. I was... um I needed the Lord to get a hold of me, and he did. And uh, my life was not uh, headed in the right direction in the sense of, like, I was a nice guy. I knew how to go to class, but in, internally, there was no peace. Um, my uh, With this struggle with anger and, and struggle with uh, immorality and things like that, partying to some levels, you know, and it's I don't want to over-glorify these things. These aren't like, it wasn't like, maybe crazy for today's standards, but looking backwards, I knew I was lost. 
And I had teammates along the way at Mount Sac Junior College, um, Keith Leisure talking to me about Jesus Christ. I had a teammate named Rocky Brown at USC, another walk-on, uh, who talked to me about Christ and the gospel and how how the grace of God forgives us and saves us. And, and the gospel all of a sudden made sense where, yeah, I knew I was a sinner. And so, and then grace was what I needed to hear. Like he does the work. He died and rose again for me. If I would give my life to trust and repent for my sins and turn to him as my Lord and savior, I'd be saved. And there's an interesting thing. Providence God was moving in my life to kind of shape my heart to be ready to hear this from Rocky Brown, who I still talk to and I love dearly. It was against Florida State, first game. Florida State was really good at the time. Bobby Bowden. It was a national game. This was the first game, and I'm running on the field thinking, man, I can't believe this happened that my wildest dreams to made it came to life. And, and I'm just a normal kid out of the San Gabriel Valley. Now, anyone who meets me isn't going to necessarily see anything spectacular. You know what I mean? I know I'm, I'm already 47, but you can only imagine so much ability that comes out of this frame, you know. And, and but as I was running on the field, Matt, there's a, a thought hit me. And I was like, man, what am I going to do two years from now? Meaning, this is all I've been about. This is what I've been working for. And the Lord was so kind and gentle to me where my testimony isn't necessarily I'll hit rock bottom. It was more like I hit the top. And in my mind, I, it was hollow. It was empty. And, hmm. and the Lord showed me that I needed him. And at that point, when Rocky shared the gospel with me at the top of 1998 or so, um, it made all it made sense and my life has never been the same since. And so I'd say what changed for me, I still struggle with sin and temptation. But there was a I believe I was a born again man. There was something different within me. I cared more about my sin now. I'm like meaning it bothered me now. And also I, I a new affection birthed in my mind and my heart, the love for God's word. All of a sudden I'm reading the book of John. And I know how to study for for class, and I used to love reading L.A. Times when I was on paper, right? I mean, I knew how the Dodgers did. I knew how Magic did with the Lakers, and I read articles, but I never liked to read. I mean, I wasn't a reader. Now, all of a sudden, I'm opening up the book of John and reading about Christ, and uh, ever since then, it's been a love affair with Christ and the Bible, and it's grown even more and more over the years. So, in other words... That's kind of, I would say, God was calling me into this line of work even back then, I would say. It's interesting how sometimes in life you're going through stuff that you don't know why or like why something's on your heart. And then it's years later, decades later, where it all kind of comes comes to be. And I think that's a great thing with like Real Hondo. And you talked about kind of that that feeling of, Hey, what are you going to do in a couple of years? I mean, I remember feeling that just as a high school player, like I'd never want this stuff to end. And right. when it does, then what, you know? And so uh, right. it's a great, it's a great story and it's a great lesson for sure. Uh, one real quick bill Fist story, your former coach, I actually used to officiate uh, some high school and college football and bill came over to the dark side after done coaching. He, he became That's a right. referee 
That's right. And uh, you know what? It wasn't exactly me who said this, but you know, anytime Bill had a flag in a game, some of my my uh, my partners they'd say, "Really, Bill? You thought that was holding for for thirty years as a head coach in football?" <laughs> I'm out sec. You didn't think that was holding? What in that's the world? Right, so right. uh, just kind of some fun stuff there. But but a really a really dear man that is uh, unfortunately no longer with us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would officiate his funeral, and he's he was another monster, a, a giant in my life, and, and I'm so grateful for Bill Fisk and. First of all, he loves the Lord, and second of all, he loves his players and and coaches, and he gave me a chance. I mean, the junior college system is phenomenal. It's like a second chance in life for a lot of people, yeah. you know. And that's what it was for me, and that's what how the Lord used him. And he gave, uh, you know, Coach Fist loved on me, and I was grateful for him. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was interesting how he went into officiating after coaching so many years, you know. Well, that's, you know, it just goes to say, hey, you became a pastor after coaching all these years. And then, uh, you know, God directed Bill into uh, officiating. So you never say never. There's always a, a plan out there. It's something you're going to gonna end up at that you don't expect. Um, you, you talked about uh, Paul Hackett and, and Coach Robinson. And I believe there was some type of interaction. Didn't you, you randomly met Coach uh, John Robinson or something? What's the story behind that? Yeah, so that was a... Uh the spring of 1997 at Mount Sac, Mount San Antonio College. I, I graduated with my AA degree, my associates of art, got accepted into the University of Southern California. But there was one problem. I, I, I was getting, I was hearing nothing about whether I was on the team or not. And I don't know, this may sound crazy to you, but it would have been torture to go to the University of Southern California and not be on the team. It's like, I'm so close, but it's like, it's, it's just been uh, burning in my soul if I didn't <laughs> get on the team. So I drove down there and coach Fist said, I called and I talked to people and I'm like, okay, that's good. So I drove down there in my Nissan pickup truck, got on the 60 West and headed to, to, uh, to uh, USC, parked my car, walked onto campus and went to heritage hall. In my mind, I was like, I'm not a Christian at the time. I'm just thinking, all right, something good's going to happen. I'm going to go there and I think I'm going to just run into someone I need to talk to. And so I'm at Heritage Hall at the time. We only had four Heisman trophies and I was looking at them all. And I remember looking at Charles White's Heisman trophy, who I'm grateful for as well. I mean, sadly, he just passed away recently and uh, he was so kind and he was a running back coach for us in 1997 when I played there. But I remember looking at it, Charles White's Heisman and looking up just my eyes looked up and I happened to see coach John Robinson walking the, the upstairs uh, uh, level of heritage hall. And I, and I said, wow, my heart leaped. You know, this is my chance. It's kind of like in Rudy, you know, when he, and Rudy goes to see airports again and, and, and says, can yeah. I talk to you? It was kind of like that moment, but I need I wasn't as brash, so I needed to pretend like there was some kind of accidental bump. So I ran upstairs, hid behind the corridor as at the, at the end of the staircase, and I waited for him to come because I heard him, heard him coming back. And I kind of jumped into him as if some kind of accidental bump. And I said, hey, coach, I'm so-and-so. Do you have a few minutes? Can I talk to you? And that was the moment of truth. It could either go to 
uh, in a good way or in a bad way real quick. And at least I would know, though. Minimally, at least I would know what the what the uh, issue was. And and But he said this, sure, come on in. And we, he took me into his office, sat me down on his couch there, on the sofa couch, and, and he said, what can I do for you? I said, Coach, I, I've been accepted to, to the university. I need to be on your team. I'll do whatever it takes to help you win. I won't let you down. I need to be on your team. And he looked at me for a second. He threw down a yellow legal pad on the paper. He'll write down your information. So I said, sure. And so I wrote down my parents' address in Arcadia. And, and said, thanks for the time. It must have been like 15 minutes or so. We talked and I left. And I'm thinking, all right, if I don't hear back, then at least I tried. And, but sure enough, about, I don't know, 10 days later or so, I get a note in the mail that says reporting date is, I want to say August 8th or something like that at Floor Tower at the University of Southern California and be there at, I don't know, eight o'clock in the morning. And I, I came and checked in. That was that. And that was 1997. And here's an interesting story. I ran into uh, Coach Robinson recently at the Rose Bowl. Uh, he was working with LSU with Coach Ed Ogeron. Ed Ogeron and I are friends and uh, – they had a Friday walkthrough as the LSU Tigers that getting ready to play UCLA. So coach Ed Ogeron invited me to come to the practice. I came and watched them. And there was John Robinson in the end zone. And I haven't seen coach Robinson since his departure in 1997 at the end of 97. So I, I only knew coach Robinson for that fall because there was a change in the coaching staff. And then, but I needed to talk to him. I just want to thank him again. And just, but I had this question on my heart for 20 years. And this question was this. Why on God's green earth did you let me on that team? Okay, I wanted to know that. And as a coach, thank you. And he said, he was super gracious. And he was, why did you let me on the team? And he just said, you have the right look in your eye. And I said, what do you mean by that? I mean, that, that sounds great, but what do you mean? I, you know, I, I want to, I need to know these things. And he just said, you know, it takes a lot of guts to be able to come up to the head coach of the University of Southern California and ask him if you got time, ask him if you could play on the team. And he just, he just said, I knew just you needed to be on the team. And that's a good, good enough answer for me. And so I was grateful for that providential meeting I had with Coach Robinson and, um, uh, Things like that you remember, you know. I mean, and so in, in Rio Hondo uh, prep, you know, or whatever youth or high school, I mean, the players remember these sort of things. You know, these are meaningful exchanges that young men will carry with them for the rest of their lives. You know, and uh, I know that story that, that I told you with my time with him, you know, before walking on, I will never forget that. I mean, that just uh, uh, the kindness of God, and I just all those memories encourage me to this day, you know, and so, and I've always felt that way. Something good is about to happen, you know, and you know, if it doesn't happen that way, somehow I know God means it for good. As Romans eight twenty eight says, you know, hmm. he causes all things for good to those who love him, to those called according to his purpose. So the good and the bad and ugly, the God, God uses for the, for the believers good, you know? And so um, all these things are just a, a mark of God's grace in my life. 
Outstanding stuff. Yeah, it's a great uh, story and a great lesson for uh, for all of us, for sure. Um, shortly after that, in 97, obviously a coaching change. Paul Hackett comes in. And then after that, um, this unpopular hire at USC. Uh, most people don't remember this. I do. It was like Pete Carroll. Why is he coming to USC? This guy, he's been fired twice by the, the Jets and the Patriots. Like, But uh, six and six, I think the first year and then took off after that. But what, well, I guess a couple things, Rocky, what was your early, ex- you know, early exchanges with coach Pete Carroll and what was the transition that you went from player to uh, graduate assistant, that whole process, if you will. Okay. So under coach Hackett backing up a little bit, my senior year was with him. And then he, the next year, 1999, he, he uh, allowed me to be join his staff as a volunteer. So, I mean, coach Hackett was huge. I mean, not only did he give me a scholarship, now he make me a captain of the team for against Purdue. He started my career in coaching, and then then another year as administrative assistant on his staff. So, so by the time Coach Carroll came in, I was already on the staff for two years or two seasons. And um, yeah, you're right. Coach Carroll wasn't a popular hire. I mean, the fax machines are blown up. Like I'm no longer <laughs> going to support the program anymore. And I know all these boosters are eating their words now. <laughs> A years later, right? But Coach Carroll, my first, very first interaction was another providential meeting. What I mean by that is that with uh, my wife, I was dating her at the time. She was my girlfriend. She played soccer. And one of her roommates was a volleyball player. And um, we just got let fired, you know, as Coach Hackett got let go. And that means the whole staff gets let go. Now I'm thinking, man, what's going on here? This isn't good. But my wife or my girlfriend at the time said, hey, let's go watch uh, Janae play volleyball. And it was a playoff game versus University of Florida, I believe, at the old L.A. sports arena. I'm like, I don't want to go inside, but why not? I got nothing else going on. You know, it's not like I got any film to break down or anything like that at this point. And so I went and started having a good time. And lo and behold, I, I turn around and Coach Carroll's sitting behind me. And he's there watching his daughter play. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting. So, and at the time, he was, just a, he was a dark horse candidate. Just like you said, it was like Bellotti, Erickson, Mike Riley. I mean, those were the big names. And then, yeah, there's some guy named Pete Carroll, right? And, and, and I just shook his hand and said, hey, good luck to you. He was sitting next to his friend Chuck Knutson and and who becomes a friend later on too for all of us. And he used to bring cookies to our staff every 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 week um, <laughs> on Monday nights, I believe, and at US. But I say, Coach, good luck to you. And that was that. And then the next thing I know, he's getting hired as a head coach. And Steve Lopes, our associate AD, goes, Hey, I got a job for you. Come with me. I said, Okay. My job was to ride with him in his Ford Explorer so that we could pick up Coach Carroll and take him back to the uh, campus to for his press conference, introductory press press conference. And so I wrote down with Mr. Lopes, he, he greets Coach Carroll to down, uh, LAX Marriott. I shake Coach Carroll's hand and he goes, hey, good to see you again. And my job was to drive his rental car, his Pontiac Trans Am or Firebird or whatever, it was orange, I remember that. I have to follow them back so he has a ride back uh, to his hotel after the conference. And after that, I was a very, I think I was one of the very last hires on the staff. He hired 
big guys first, and then he brought me on as a graduate assistant on defense. Steve Sarkeesian was the other grad assistant on offense, and so that was pretty cool, you know. Um, and anyway, so that's kind of uh, how it all happened with Coach Carroll. Well, well, so crazy to hear that because for those that don't know, I mean, when there is a changing of the guard, regime change, as you mentioned, it's not right. just the head coach getting fired. It's the entire staff. And so Definitely. they bring in their own people. So to be retained uh, and carry over, that was definitely, uh, you know, God's God's work, God's will going on there uh, for these chance meetings and things to occur. So that's a, that's an amazing story. And it sounded like it was uh, it was destiny, not just for you and Coach Carroll, but Coach Carroll and the University of Southern California yeah. after that with quite a run. Listen, Matthew, I mean, the older I get, kind of like what you said, as you look backwards, the more I look backwards, I'm 47 now, and we're middle-aged men now. And and But the older you get, the longer you've been walking with Christ, you can see the providential dots in your life, you know. And my life has been a life of providence. I mean, I mean, what I just shared with you from my upbringing to – how USC happened to all other things. I mean, it's just, you could, it's obvious. And more, the more that you're able to trace those dots of Providence, it's kind of like this connected dots that we used to play, you know, and, and do as children. And there's no, you, you don't know what it is at first. And all of a sudden you start drawing the line, you can kind of see a shape. And that shape is God's invisible hand moving in your life. And as a believer, a follower of Christ, you gain more confidence in him through this, through these things. And Romans 8, 28 starts to take more flesh in, in your life. And so you're exactly right. I mean, it's just, uh, these things are just uh, incredible and, and they grow your faith, you know? No, definitely. And, and as far as uh, USC football goes, there's, you know, a lot of, of USC fans, I'm sure listening to this. I mean, those were some great years. Uh, I was always a defensive guy. I always loved uh, Matt Grudegood, Troy Polamalu were some of my favorite players, uh, right. plenty of, plenty of great ones out there, but I mean, if you, it's it's tough to sum it all up because it it was a lot of years of great dominance. But how did USC go from this six and six team to arguably uh, one of the best football teams of all time during a stretch run when you were there? Well, Coach Carroll was developing a staff, and Coach is, is able to have a good picture in his mind, a vision of kind of what needs to how it needs to look, how it needs to feel, and. So he, he was definitely the right man to kind of put it all together. And the University of Southern California, we had some great players. I mean, Grudegood uh, was on the team from prior. Carson Palmer was there from prior. Troy Polamalu, all these guys were there with Coach Hackett. And and so, but Coach, what he did was help the team believe, you know, and and to have fun with the game. I mean, these are college players, and 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 he was able to kind of develop that and. And we went six to six. We lost in the Las Vegas Bowl to Utah. I mean, this is Utah before Utah as we know them today. I mean, Utah was not even in the Pac-10. You know, this is like a big upset. But they're good. I mean, they beat us, and that was that. But we went on like a four or five game winning streak at the end to get to the Vegas Bowl. But every game that we lost that season, it was like a field goal, one point, maybe one t late touchdown that beat us at the end. I mean, we're in everything and. Coach instilled a belief in us that just to keep competing and things will turn. And from six and six, I would say the foundation of a culture of competitiveness, a culture of fun, a culture of uh, just enjoying the game was developed. And that same mentality went into recruiting. I mean, Ed Ogeron got after the recruiting. And I would say schematically, 
we kind of we understood who we were on defense. I mean, Coach Carroll is a cover three um, guy, eight men in the box, and we continued to develop that. And we, we had a philosophy on defense, and that kind of gave us a chance. I would say the next year on offense, in the offseason, we developed a stretch game, outside zone play that was the bread and butter. Then they developed a passing, deeper passing philosophy. Start off with a slant and the fades and just beating guys one-on-one -on -one and seam routes and and things like that. And so we got a couple of key players like uh, Mike Williams that next year out of Florida, sure. who's a wide receiver for us. And Justin Fargus becomes eligible and plays for us. And, 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 uh, Anyway, that's kind of what happened, and uh, and then our team took off, you know, and um, and it was a we didn't look back afterwards after that season, you know, two thousand that two thousand one season or two thousand two season, I think, yeah, two thousand two season, we went to the Orange Bowl. Carson Palmer wins the Heisman Trophy, and then in two thousand the next season, we, we and the following season we go back to back national championships. The following season we lost to Texas, it would have been three straight national championships in a row and just inches away from winning that one. But, man, I give Texas all the credit in the world. But it was just an amazing time. And then we would win the Pac-10 over and over and go to the Rose Bowls. Mm -hmm. And winning, going to the Rose Bowl and winning the Rose Bowl never got old, I'll tell you, Matt. I mean, that was one of the things I, I remember talking to my dad about after working one day. I'm going to play in the Rose Bowl one of these days. And, and, and I was a kid, and he kind of looked at me like, okay, and then, to be able to go to five of them was ridiculous. And he was there in the stands, and that meant a lot to me, you know, just on a, you know, on a personal wow. level. But, I mean, you know, grew up in the San Gabriel Valley. I mean, the Rose Bowl is phenomenal. I mean, I've been to two Super Bowls, and it's electric. The Super Bowls are, and they're amazing. But the actual game day atmosphere, mm. I'd say the Rose Bowl is second to none. I mean, the, the pageantry, oh. it's New Year's Day generally, uh, the tradition, and you're playing somebody from the Big Ten. And then it's uh it's it's about like a three thirty four o'clock kickoff. It's daytime first half. It's beautiful. Right. You can see, see the San Gabriel Valley uh, mountains. It's and the mountains are starting to become pink because of the sun starting to set. You go inside to the locker room. Next thing next thing you know, it's dark, and the lights are on. It's, it's electric, and then usually we turn on the gas and run away from the from the Big Ten guys, and then and that was that. But yeah. so. That's kind of what I remember, and it's it was an amazing time. No, for sure. Yeah, the Burles Bowl, whoever's playing, is one of my favorite games of the year. But just an incredible run you guys went on. Uh, you, you mentioned that Texas game. I think, I mean, that had to just be crazy to be a part of. Well, two games that you – I mean, if you would briefly talk about that Notre Dame game, the Bush push, uh, what that environment craziness was like, and then yeah. obviously losing to Texas basically – uh, at the buzzer after being up, I think, 12 in the fourth quarter. I mean, these are things I remember, but what was it like being on the sideline for those games? Well, I was in the press box my whole career, and I was kind of oh, like okay. the guy for Coach Carroll. And first of all, with the Notre Dame game, if we didn't win that game, we wouldn't have been in the Rose Bowl. That was that same season. I mean, it was amazing. They came out with their green jerseys. I mean, they came out and the fans came out and ambushed us the day before. Let's go Irish after our Friday walkthrough through Notre Dame Stadium. And our bus was surrounded by their fans. It was awesome, man. And they're chanting and and we knew it was on, man. I think they brought out like Joe Montana. They brought out Wayne Gretzky. They brought out everyone at their pep rally to see, to get their team fired up. And they came out ready and, and it was fourth and nine. Yeah. And my view of the 
at that point was fourth and nine. It was like a minute left, maybe. I remember Lane Kiffin, who was our offensive coordinator, talking to Steve Sarkeesian on the on the headsets, and it was a timeout. And I think they had a wide basic, which is a, a tight end, 10 and in to the tight end. Dominic Bird called in. But Lane was saying this. He goes, hey, Sark, remind Liner, Matt, if there's any pressure, A-gap pressure, to check to Max Pro. And, and sure enough, I hear him talk. Hey, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. They got a, kind of a, a double-A gut kind of a pressure. And Matt just at the line. It's loud, mind you. I mean, it is yeah. going crazy, right? So I don't know how he communicated that. 80 stay, bam. That means the tight end stays, max protections, gap protection, and they block it up. Everyone gets it. The tight end's not running around now. He's blocking, and it's one-on-one time with Dwayne Jarrett versus, I think, Ambrose is the corner, the right corner for Notre Dame. Liner. Kind of pump fakes a little bit, throws it to throws a fade. He somehow the ball gets through. Ambrose um, falls on it, and, and Jarrett runs to I don't know eleven yard line or something like that. And that was crazy. And then and, uh, and then the and then the push push happened. And so that was glorious. I thought I was going to have a heart attack that day. And somehow, <laughs> somehow that that was one of my high uh, favorite games. But the Texas game, so we've lost. There's two games that I think about often. I'd say the Texas game is the number one loss, and then the other loss was in the Super Bowl to the Patriots, or we lost in the goal line. But this one, I think, it was harder for me. The Texas game of the two, and, and some people may say, "Why is that?" Well, number one, winning three straight national championships in a row would have just been ridiculous. Number two, we're on defense, having a chance to stop them, and we didn't. And I was a defensive coach. Number three, and probably most importantly, I probably had less maturity as a Christian. I think my identity is more wrapped up into the game and into winning. And meaning, as a child of God, I am a my identity is in Jesus Christ alone. Yet, I think there's a temptation to say, "Hey, no," but all the kudos, all the pats in the back, we're coming off the wins and at USC. And I think that was a harder thing for me. That I think the Lord used that to sanctify me to say, "Listen." I'm the one that matters. I'm your source of identity. Tomorrow, when one or lose, it's going to be the same. So you need to focus on me. And so that was tough. But I'll say this much, Matt. That pain of losing that game drove Coach Carroll and I to, and our staff to hire heights to learn how to stop the running quarterback. I mean, Vince Young mm-hmm. was a beast. He was amazing. But we learned we could have done it better. And and sure enough, we learned, and, and it prepared us for the time we got to the to the uh, National Football League to defend guys like Colin Kaepernick, to defend guys like Cam Newton, defend guys like uh, RG3 and other people like that. You know what I mean? It, it really, I think it put us at a different level to prepare mm-hmm. to play those guys, and uh, it helped, and, and, that, and I think it had a huge factor in it. And, propelling us to win the Super Bowl in, in Seattle. And uh, so the pains, you know, the trials kind of drive you to get better. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened. So you go from your dream school, not just playing there, coaching there, uh, arguably being a part of an era that was unlike any other there, at least in the modern era. I mean, 
you're in a you're 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 in a place where you feel I'm sure you were born to be. And then the NFL comes calling. You guys go up to Seattle. I mean, was that a difficult difficult decision leaving uh, USC and going to the NFL and coaching at the highest level versus you know your alma mater? It wasn't a difficult decision because it wasn't really a decision to leave. You know what I mean? I mean <laughs> what happens? Is, <laughs> I'll tell you what happens. Providence, you know, and I wouldn't have chosen that because I loved it at USC the year before. I had a chance to be the defensive coordinator at the University of Washington for Steve Sarkeesian, and I turned it down to and because I love being at USC so much. And but the very next year, Coach Carroll takes a job in Seattle at the Seahawks, and I'm like, oh, okay. And basically, it was a challenging time for me. It was a the Lord was sanctifying me and humbling me during that time um, because when Coach initially took the job, I wasn't in his original plans to come up with this. Wow. And and I remember um, like you, him telling me that he took the job and I'm thinking, okay, when do we go? And he goes, uh, you're not coming. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so I stayed out for another month or so. And then when Lane Kiffin, Coach Kiffin comes in, who I love, I knew he's going to have to bring in his own staff, and he did. Monty Kiffin was the defensive coordinator. They had a defensive back coach and a linebacker coach. They had everyone they needed. <laughs> and I understood. That's just how it goes. And and then when Coach found out that I got let uh, let go and uh, or fired, I don't know fire. It was not necessarily a firing. Necessarily, it was, but he uh, asked me to come be his quality control coach, which is the entry level coaching position. And and the Lord was humbling me, mind you. I was a defensive coordinator at USC and at the time, mm. and and my wife and I prayed about it, and you know we took the job, and God was humbling me during that time, and and. Um, but I loved it. Looking backwards, like we've been saying this whole time, it's amazing. And it was an amazing time. God was growing me to love him. And this, I was going under a reformation. And what I mean by that, Matthew, is that I believe I was a genuine believer. I was a born again person in Southern California. But I had a tendency, I think, to look at the Bible more for the benefits of that in terms of how do I grow as a leader how do i grow as a husband and as a father and other things like that and certainly the bible's full of those but it hit me and i had to repent because i realized i was looking at god for more perhaps more what he could give me than, than him himself and here's a quote that may maybe describes how i felt to a degree was a pastor named John Piper says, would you be satisfied going to heaven if you knew Jesus wasn't going to be there? Meaning you could have uh, eternal life. You could have uh, be with your friends. You could not have any more problems, no more tears. Yet Christ would be there. And that's a, a Christless heaven is an oxymoron. I mean, that being with Jesus is heaven. And so what I realized is as I was spending those four o'clock, five o'clock uh, sessions by myself, it hit me more and more that the Bible, it's about Christ. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing him and loving and enjoying him more. And I think I needed to go through that, you know, and, and the Lord took me to a whole different level of enjoyment of him, deeper level of faith, deeper love for the Bible. Now the Bible is not about me. It's about God. And that's what happened. And I, during my time as a quality control coach, 
had hours by myself studying and breaking down film, generating reports. And during that time, I think God was giving me a seminary. I, I was I'd be listening to sermons online, hours and hours of, of expository preaching. And it changed me. And I realized, man, I love this. I love the Bible. And that, man, I want to learn how to preach like this. And there's nothing more important than people hearing God's word preached to them. And that's what happened. And so it was a difficult time. But it was the best of times. I needed it, you know, and uh, I I, I want to change a thing, you know. And so, and I love Coach Carroll. He he's a dear friend, and um, grateful for all the wonderful opportunities that God's given me through him. Can I ask you? Yeah. As far as the, the difference between you know college players versus NFL players, for us that you know watch watch these teams on Saturdays and Sundays, I guess what what was the biggest challenge, or was what, what was the biggest difference, if you will, in coaching college guys and then coaching, you know, professional athletes uh, where millions of dollars are on the line every week. Well, it's still football. And these are still, uh, I mean, we coach at the university of Southern California where these guys are highly um, motivated. So professional, they're highly motivated, but they're grown men. I mean, they got many have wives, kids, businesses, and, and, you know, I mean, that's what it is. And at the time, I don't know. I was in my thirties, early thirties. So I think, and so some of the players are my age, you know, and maybe some older and that's what it is. And I love coaching both. Mm. I mean, at the university, it was amazing to see guys grow up and to uh, learn to thrive in that environment. I mean, it's not easy now. These are 18, 19, 20 year old, 21 year old guys, 22 year old guys on that type of stage at USC at that time, we didn't have any professional teams. So that was like professional football for LA. Do you remember the Rams and the Raiders and left and we didn't mm -hmm. have the Rams and the chargers at the time. And so it wasn't a ridiculous time for these guys to handle that pressure, <laughs> handle the attention. It was amazing in the pros. I mean, the seriousness to the game is at a unprecedented level. I mean, the, these men, the players, they take it seriously. They're into it. You don't have to really capture the focus other than, I would say the biggest thing is help them eliminate distractions from their lives so that they can lock in on the game and lock in in those hours after they're at the, at the facility and help keep guys focused. And But what ultimately I enjoyed about both is the relationships that you have with the players. I mean, it's amazing. Just like what I'm looking forward to having some relationships with players and coaches at Real Under Prep. I mean, Football is a perfect breeding ground for discipleship. I mean, you're spending time together. You're winning together. You're losing together. You're preparing together. I mean, you sweat together. You laugh together. And then relationships of birth, you know, and where you could talk about Christ. You could talk about the gospel. You could talk about uh, growing in the Lord and how, how to see God's hand working in your life, you know. And so... I, that's what I love about the game. People ask me, what do you miss the most? And certainly I enjoy the games and the and preparation, but the biggest thing is I miss the relationships that I was able to see uh, all the time and, um, and which I'm getting now at the church, but uh, you still hold on to those relationships from the past. 
Well, who can forget the uh, the Legion of Boom, an incredible defense there with uh, Seattle secondary, and you know you being on the defensive side of the ball, like Coach Carroll, uh, you know your your fingerprints, handprints were definitely in, in all that, and the great teams at USC as well. Uh, you know, God can humble you, I'm sure. I mean, you guys go to the Super Bowl, you destroy Peyton Manning and that incredible offense. I mean, they barely scored. And so you got to be thinking, man, life can't get better. You go back the next year, we're going to go back to back. And then you lose on the last play of the game. I mean, it's so funny, as you mentioned, football's perfect discipleship and in a perfect picture of how life can change in, uh, in an instant. Yeah, no, it is. And, and it's, uh, it's amazing, you know, and um, I mean, I'm biased, but I, I think it's the greatest team sport in the universe, you know, and, uh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I know there's a lot of great sports, but this is a, this is an amazing game. So I got to ask now you've coached at college, you coached in the NFL. Uh, you, you've, you've been at the, the mountaintop in both sports. Um, why, why high school football? Why, why come back and, and, and coach, uh, Rio Hondo after being off for, for a few years? I mean, uh, you know, it, it, some would say I've, you've seen other guys do it, but, I don't know why ultimately did you make the decision to uh, not downgrade, of course, but just coach it at a, at a level much lower than you're, you're used to. Well, I mean, my, my first commitment is to my family and then to the Evergreen Baptist church. I mean, so my hours are pretty full. However, I do have some hours to kind of lend my, the things that I've learned and, and Mark Carson, and I have a relationship. I think it starts off there. And I believe the knowledge that I have and um, and perhaps experience I've had in the past, or I need to steward them still. I mean, they, they all belong to God. And somehow, can I use them to help expand the kingdom? Can I use them to help discipleship, the, the Great Commission? And it certainly was a, a good connection when, when my son, when we decided my son would join uh, Rio Hondo Prep as a ninth grader. And so as an opportunity for me to be around him as well and his friends and uh, to encourage the coaches. And I mean, listen, the, coach Carson and his staff are the ones that are going to be doing the main work. However, I hope to be an encouragement to them, to the players and to lend any helps that I can, you know? And so I'm grateful for that opportunity. I, I don't take this lightly. I think this is a significant opportunity uh, that I get to. And it's, it's, it's just, it's kind of in the, my neighborhood of where I grew up and in the vicinity of my church. So that kind of works out in that way. How did you discover uh, Real Hondo, maybe the relationship with Coach Carson? Um, had you heard of uh, Care Youth League before, uh, your kids in the organization or anything? Take us through kind of the connections you have to Real yeah. Hondo. And Gr grown up, I mean, I think we moved to Arcadia in 1988 or 87. Uh, and um, South Arcadia and... Um, I think our neighbor, Philip, played care youth football. I mean, he had, he had his pads and all that. And oh, that's cool. We never participated in that. And then I kept, I began coaching at USC. Maybe I was a grad assistant. We had a clinic before these clinics got huge. I mean, a coach's clinic. And Coach Carson showed up in my DB room. And all the things that we talked about, I mean, from when you're up, you're up. When you're back, you're back no seams, no posts, you know, middle third safety. And, and that's how we met. And he actually invited me to come out to speak to the staff 20 years ago, 
literally almost 20 years ago, probably if not a little less or more a year or two, but remember coming before the gym was built. It was like a dome at the time. I remember I thought, <laughs> right. Right. Wasn't a circus tent. Dome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the same gym that's there right now. And I remember meeting in one of the rooms. And so Mark and I got to know each other then. And then when I went to Seattle, he'd invite me to come speak at, at a football camp or something at the at care park. And, and then my son, my younger son eventually, um, uh, played uh during covid i think baseball uh, was going on and that's where he started baseball season with cares care league and 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 mark and i got more reacquainted then and that's what happened you know and so grateful for that i mean i see that as providence you know i mean years ago linking up that relationship to where we're at now exactly similar to uh you said as you get older you look back and you're, you you see your things Building blocks, they're 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 building towards something that you're not aware of, maybe at the moment. Uh, here's a here's a random question I have for you, um, because I think competition brings out the best and sometimes the worst in people. And how does, especially football, it's an aggressive game. It's physical. It's uh, there's so much anger in in it sometimes as well. How do how does football and your 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 faith, your walk with God? I guess what I'm asking is how do how do you manage it? you know, from losing control in a football game. Like how do you, how do you contain that control as someone who is a believer in God and a follower of Christ? Like, I think it's a challenge sometimes to always carry ourselves on a football field. Like we were representing God. And sometimes we get mad at a referee or we get mad at the other team or something. And, you know, we, we get, uh, we're tested, I think. So if you would talk to me about kind of that fine line of competition and, and maybe overdoing it sometimes. Well, that's a good question, Matthew, because whether it's football or being a dad or whatever <laughs> it may be at their job, I mean, we could get carried away. I mean, it just expresses itself so obviously in a good or bad way in football, right? It's sometimes you just can't hide it. So <laughs> I would say this, on the teams that was a part of, we, the Christian brothers, we used to say, hey, let's get our worship on. Meaning, whether it's practice or game time, let's worship God not worship football football was a way to worship god that's kind of the big issue am i worshiping football or god and so this is the whole shooting match is like do i is my identity about christ or is my identity about the game and this is where you start operating on two different types of fuel is it clean fuel or dirty fuel? Meaning what types of motivation? Dirty fuel might be for your own pride, for your own selfish ambitions, um, those sort of things. So when things don't work out well, usually there's a lot of junk that comes out. The fuel is <laughs> dirty, you know, that motivation is dirty. Clean fuel is this, I'm playing for the glory of God. I'm playing for my, for the, my love of my teammates and my coaches. I'm playing to maximize the talents that God's given me and to be content in that. And so it, it, I would say it's a constant thing. And, and for no Christian operates with 100% clean fuel. I mean, it's, it's called temp sin and temptation. We still have this flesh on our bodies. So it's a constant thing. And even as a pastor, 
And I'm praying constantly that God would guard my heart from crazy thoughts, sinful thoughts, selfish thoughts, uh, prideful thoughts, you know, and even, even the act of preaching, you could be doing it for the wrong reasons, you know? And so I'm aware of that. And in, in football, I'm certainly aware of that for the players and coaches, you know? And so it's just a constant, uh, life of repentance and saying, Lord, I didn't want to think that uh, that's wrong. Uh, or Lord guard me from this temptation. I feel like the, this thought keeps coming to my mind of my own glory, not your glory. And it's a constant, uh, prayer life in your mind, in your heart. And where I believe the spirit of God draws us to him and are, are and being completely reliant upon him, you know? So there's no, no one's got it kicked now. I promise you that. As soon as you think you got it kicked, that's when you're going to stumble, right? And so that's how that works. So it's a constant life of tension between living in the spirit, living in the flesh, you know, and meaning living for God and for his glory and living for your own selfish ambitions, you know? So um, I, I, for the Christians that I get to talk to at Rio Hondo Prep, I would say, hey, what an opportunity to worship God. What an opportunity to worship God through the winds. What an opportunity to worship God through the loss. What an opportunity God uh, to worship God through your demotion. You're not starting anymore. What an opportunity to worship God as a starter now. What an opportunity to worship God through injuries, right? I mean, what an opportunity to worship God when people pat you on the back and say, great win. What are you going to do? Are you going to just take it for yourself? Or are you going to spread out the credit to A, to God, and to your teammates and your coaches, right? I mean, there's different things that will test you. Success is works two ways. It's a double-edged sword. It's a huge blessing, but a, it could also cut you, you know, and mm. you could uh, start believing in the hype, you know, and so, and so I would say that's a, that's something to be well aware of. Well, I can't think of a better way to uh, wrap it up than uh, that great speech there, Coach Sato. I'm ready to run through a wall for you. I got no eligibility left, but I'm <laughs> ready, man. Uh, you've inspired me, and hopefully the the fans are inspired as well as as the young man. This is going to be an exciting season, kicking it off here in uh, in in August. Uh, we're excited to have you on board, and man, let's uh, let's roll the ball out there and have some fun, man. Thank you for talking with me today. Uh, it's grateful. Thanks for the opportunity, and I'm grateful to kind of have an introduction to the Rio Hondo community i know it's a it's, i know the roots go deep so i'm grateful for this well god bless you sir looking forward to it and of course your continued success at, at your church uh pastor seto thanks again uh rocky this has been a blast we'll see you uh on the field real soon sounds good thank you matt well that was a lot of fun wasn't it i hope you guys are ready to run through a wall for coach uh, seto because i sure am um man what a man of god and a uh, just great character and somebody that uh, definitely knows his football. Some great stories from uh, the days at USC and, of course, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, man, I, I think Real Hondo has a great uh, addition to their coaching staff here. Uh, not so much with the X's and O's, although I'm sure he knows a thing or two about that, but just the influence he's going to have on the young man and maybe some of the other coaches as well. I think, uh, you know, anybody that gets to meet coach Seto and, and learn a thing or two from is going to come away uh, blessed. Uh, I'm sure you guys know exactly what I'm talking about there after listening to him talk for about an hour there. And so, man, I, I was just blown away. I've heard him speak before, but every time I'm just like, yeah, you're right. Let's do this. I'm ready. You know, God is good. And, and so is football. So faith, family and football sounds pretty good to me. I hope you guys are enjoying the, your summer before you know it, man, the pads will be on and uh, coach Shed will be out there pushing the guys as well as coach Carson. And uh, it's the other great members of the coaching staff we've had here on the charge to keep podcast episodes will continue to air on Fridays 
in the summer, uh, 5 p.m. here on the West Coast, but you can listen to the episode or watch it anytime after that as uh, is podcast form on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, all those great things. Don't forget our YouTube channel and our channel on Rumble. Check those out. Subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And of course, on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, get, excuse me, charge to keep pod, no, charge to keep is the uh, the official hashtag of, uh, of our podcast here. So be sure to check it out and uh, give us a follow, man. The season is right around the corner. Let's kick this thing off. August 19th down in San Diego against Francis Parker. Another great season of prep football, the 56th to be exact. Uh, the summer trip is over. Uh, you know what? They're taking a little breather now, and then they'll be right back into it with uh, summer workouts and practices, and then pads come on, and then, man, season starts and school starts. I mean, it's going to happen in the blink of an eye. I hope you guys are ready. Uh, get your rest and relaxation now because as soon as uh, football season is here, well, it kind of is here already, but as soon as it's officially here, then uh, we're off and running and it's going to go in the blink of an eye. So be ready for all that. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Coach Shadow, that can't thank you enough. That was an absolute privilege and a pleasure. Got to uh, take a visit out to uh, Coach Shadow's church there in La Puente, um, Evergreen Church. We'll have to uh, check that out. And, and of course, uh, uh, the fans, I'm sure, encouraged to get out and hear him uh, preach a time or two. That would be great sometime this summer to get to know a little bit more about him. But Hopefully you guys learned quite a bit today. Thanks again, guys. We'll be back next week with more great content on the Charge to Keep podcast. But as always, guys, this is your friendly reminder to always be humble in victory and gracious in defeat because we always have a charge to keep. A charge to keep I have, a God to glorify. A never-dying soul to save and fit it for the sky. Arm me with jealous care as in thy sight to live. And, O oh, thy servant, Lord, prepare a strict account to give.